there, and welcome to episode 51 of Book of Montano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. I am your most likely to succeed host, Kristen Haas, aka Kiki Rides. We have made it to the end of season four. That's right, last episode of season four, episode 24, R&R and R. I will also spend a little time in this episode wrapping up this season. And by wrapping up the season, I mean giving the tallies of the things that I noticed and trying to remember to mention any awards that the show might have been nominated for or won, as I didn't forget to mention that during my season-ending wraps. But that's okay. Everything's okay when we go to Hawaii. So, for one last time in season four, let's go to Hawaii. Can we take her now? Yeah, Doc, but uh, as soon as you can, tell me something, will you? I can tell you something right now about the murder weapon. A bayonet. How do you figure? Four years in the medical corps, that's how I figured. You see quite a few of those punctures in a field hospital. Steve, your guy's cool under fire. Look at that. He took the time to wipe the blade. Thanks, Doc, I noticed. Jay, what have you got? Crude job. Tried to jimmy the lock, but didn't know how. What do you think? Random kill? Psycho? What? Random, maybe. But he knew enough to wear gloves. Hi, Steve. How are you? Amateur. Ken? Looks like you'll be working together on this one, huh? You know everyone? Mm-hmm. Mrs. Herbert, this is a... Herbert. I'm sorry, Mrs. Herbert. This is Colonel Ken Hart, Army Provost Marshal. Mrs. Herbert. Victim was Ellis Eismansky. She was waiting for her husband to arrive on rest and recuperation leave from Vietnam. How long has she been waiting? Four days. Four long days. Pointless, vicious world we're trying to stay alive in, isn't it? Season 4, Episode 24, R&R&R, &R &R. air date March 7th, 1972, directed by Leo Penn. This is his second of two episodes, and written by Bill Stratton. This is his second of 16 episodes. Ellis Zmanski arrives at the airport and is directed to the R&R &R station, where she's informed her husband, Augie, who's supposed to be meeting her, will be arriving from Vietnam a few days late. She spends some of that time tanning on the beach with her new friend Betty, who's also waiting for her husband. Wanting to be touchable for Augie, Ella heads for her room. While in the shower, an unknown man breaks in and kills her, sans psycho score. At the room, Betty tells Steve that Ella had only been hanging with R&R &R wives and had been waiting for her husband for four days. Doc informs Steve that Ella was killed with a bayonet and the guy was cool enough to wipe the blade when he was done. Jay says the guy wore gloves, but was an amateur when it came to breaking in. Colonel Ken Hart from the Navy Provost Marshal comes in. He'll be working with 5 on this. The hotel operator tells Danny that a man that sounded like a man called for Ella. He sounded mainland, as accents go. The operator wouldn't give the man Ella's room number, but Ella may have been hustled out of it. They're then informed that Augie arrives in half an hour. Steve and Hart meet him at the plane and inform him of his wife's murder on the tarmac. He's understandably upset. 
Augie and Ella had been married almost a year, and he'd been overseas for seven months. The marriage was strong, and Augie takes it personally when Steve asks if Ella was lonely, swinging on him. Steve calms him down. Doc details the bayonet stabbing, which hit with an upward thrust to get the heart. Quick and sure. Colonel Hart arrives, and Steve asks for the team. Ella and Augie were a perfect couple and perfect people. Ella did a little shopping, checked in with the R&R staff, sunbathed, and kept the hotel staff informed in case her husband called. There's no apparent reason for Ella to have been killed. If this guy is a psycho, where's his mark? Augie's superior officer, Captain Dan Nichols, is coming in on R&R. They're going to talk to him. However, another soldier meets Lieutenant Nichols' wife at the R&R check-in. Saying he served under her husband but is now stationed in Hawaii, he takes her to the R&R Center by the scenic route as part of the officer wives' welcome tour. They stop along the way, the soldier showing her the breathtaking view. He has her climb to a point on the cliff to get a better view of the ocean and islands. She has a moment to enjoy it before he stabs her and lets her fall over the side. This welcome tour is not so welcoming. Rescue workers arrive and rappel down the side of the cliff to get to Mrs. Nichols' body. They find her purse near where she was stabbed, along with some blood. Kono finds more blood on some leaves, like someone wiped a blade clean. The footprints also show two sets, a man and a woman walking to the cliff, but only the man's walking away. Steve, Danny, and Hart examine the body and find the same stab wound as on their first victim. Meanwhile, a uniformed cop finds an abandoned car with a military uniform and Mrs. Nichols' suitcase inside. From this, Che is able to get some information from the uniform. It's secondhand, having been treated with insecticide and showing the mark of a price tag. The man is 5'9", 150 to 155 pounds, with light brown hair and a dandruff problem. He stole the staff car used to lure Mrs. Nichols. It wouldn't be hard for this guy to get the R&R info, and a couple of phone calls could turn up the flight info. This doesn't sound very secure, but okay. Kono heads to a lay shop to see if he can find someone who remembers selling a Howley a lay found on Mrs. Nichols. Danny asks the airport R&R guy if he remembers the soldier, but he doesn't. Che doesn't find much more at the airport. A lady at the airport tells Danny that the guy wore sunglasses and was very Howley. 5-0 is scrounging for leads here. Stephen Hart informed Nichols after he arrives for R&R that his wife has been murdered. Steve asks if there were any possible grudges that would cause someone to do this, but Nichols says there aren't any. Steve then asks about conflicts in his unit. Nichols says nothing more than usual. They're all good men. Steve asks for the records of the men in Echo Company, and he wants to know when the next wife is due to meet her husband for R&R. Hart says that would be Mrs. Carter, and her husband isn't due for R&R for a month. Steve speculates that someone could be taking out revenge on the company. Meanwhile, the killer checks in with the Marine Corps recruiting office about his application. It turns out that after being discharged from the Army, Tommy Ralston attempted to join the Marines under a fake name, which the Marines quickly found out. The recruiting officer very definitely tells him that the Marines don't want him, which Ralston doesn't appreciate. He snaps as he leaves, yelling about his distinguished service cross he got for killing 11 Viet Cong soldiers. That makes him a hero. The people on the sidewalk aren't impressed. 
So Ralston dons his military uniform and heads to the local telegraph place, sending a message to Mrs. Carter that her husband was granted leave early and she should come to Hawaii immediately. He signs it, Captain Dan Nichols. So this episode is interesting because of the way it unfolds. The bits and pieces that we get about the murder and his motivations. And it starts with an interesting juxtaposition between the beauty and serenity of Hawaii and the war that was going on in Vietnam at the time. Because we have Ellis Mansky checking in with the R&R people about her husband finding out that he's delayed and we see her lounging on the beach. This is intercut with scenes with, of Augie fighting over in Vietnam and he and Lieutenant Carter in battle being airlifted out and returning back to base where Captain Dan Nichols informs Augie that he's late to go on R&R. The orders have just come through. And he tells him he'll see him in a few days because he's also going on R&R. So this is intercut with Ella waiting for her husband and also being murdered. And the thing is, Ella seems very sweet and she seems very dedicated to her husband when she's sitting on the beach with Betty talking about wanting to stay close in case Augie calls. You can tell that she's very sweet and she's very devoted to her husband. She also says something about she's had enough sun for the day because she, she wants to be touchable for her husband should he come home soon. But in reality, if you look closely, the actress has a sunburn already and is peeling in a section on her back. So she's not quite as touchable as she would like us all to believe, but that's acting. She goes into her hotel room and gets in the shower in that classic feeling of ultimate vulnerability. Thank you, Psycho. A man breaks in while she's in the shower, turns up the radio that she's turned on, which is a nice touch, and stabs her while she's in the shower. We see no blood, but we assume that it is there. I also want to point out that the murderer committed this act while wearing sandals. And for whatever reason, this has become a hill I will die on. I really need people to wear the appropriate footwear while committing felonies. I think it was earlier this season, I saw somebody commit a robbery while wearing sandals. Please stop wearing sandals to commit felonies. It's a personal offense to me. Anyway. We get 5-0 in on the case, and it's Doc who points out that he knows right away by looking at Ella that this crime was committed with a bayonet, and he knows that because he did four years in the medical corps. He's seen plenty of those injuries, and he said it went right for the heart, and points out that the killer was so cool that he wiped his blade off on the towel. That kind of goes a little bit with the turning up of the music. Dude is cold-blooded, but he can't apparently break down a door for shit. The breaking and entering was really sloppy. So no points there. He's good at murder, not at B&E. That's when we have Hart from the Provost Marshal come in to be working with 5 on this case since it was a military officer's wife that was murdered. And poor Betty, they have her in the room to be questioned while they're taking her friend's nude, stabbed corpse out. Like, how upsetting is that? That's just... I don't feel that was was very considerate nor thought through very well. That just seemed kind of harsh. But Betty backs up what we as an audience already know. Ella is very sweet and utterly devoted to her husband. And there's no apparent connection between this murderer and Ella. 
because she was not running around hanging out with any of the guys. She stuck close to the hotel. She went shopping. She stuck mostly with the R&R wives. She was very keen on informing the hotel staff where she was in case her husband called. So this isn't like a jealous lover situation. She wasn't courting her own demise by running around on her husband. So what is this? Steve wants to know what the, what the signature is, what the mark is. Because this looks like a random. That means that this guy is, as Steve says, a psycho. My favorite part about this hotel investigation is when Danny goes and talks to the hotel operator who took a phone call for Ella and tried to get the, the hotel room number from her, but she wouldn't give it. So they're speculating that the man talked to Ella and Ella gave it to him. And that's how he knew where to find her. Sismansky, that's right. He had to spell it for me. Someone called. A man. Uh, what did he sound like? A man. Perfect. 10 out of 10. No notes. It seems like she's not doing her job very well, but when you when you think about it, she's a hotel operator. How many calls does she take in an hour at her job? She's obviously not going to pay that much attention to the sound of the voices. It's what they say, not how they say it. There's also something else that I wanted to point out, which is how time of death works mostly. As they're reviewing Ella's movements, they say she was lasting at this time and she was the body was found at this time, which means that's when she was murdered was somewhere in between there. That's typically how time of death works a lot is they were killed sometime between the last time they were seen and the time the body was found. Yes, rigor can be used, liver mortars can be used, liver temp can be used to try to narrow those things down. But that's actually the closest time of death, closest, most accurate time of death you're going to get is from the time that the victim was last seen to the time that the body was found. They died somewhere in there. TOD is never precise, but storytelling is not made to be vague. Anyway, Hart informs Steve that Augie has arrived or he will be arriving in like half an hour. So he missed seeing his wife alive by like a couple of hours, which is really, really rough. They meet him on the tarmac and Steve tells him on the tarmac that his wife is dead and has been murdered. I just feel like that maybe you could have taken him somewhere else instead of like told him right as he got off the plane. I just there's a lot of harshness in this episode between Betty being interviewed while her friend's corpse isn't being taken out of the room and Augie being told on the tarmac that his wife is dead. And Steve, of course, questions him about the marriage, if Ella was lonely, and Augie, like, loses his shit and swings on Steve for it. And it's a really emotional scene because he is trying to process all of this information that his wife was brutally murdered. And then you have Steve asking him questions about it. And he is just, his brain is fritzing right now. And so he obviously resorts to violence when Steve insinuates something about his now dead wife. And Steve seems understanding about that. Somebody started watching something in the other room at a really loud volume. Sorry about that. Par for the course. So everything that they have on Ella and Augie suggests they are the perfect couple. They are perfect people. He is a perfect soldier. She is a small town girl from a church going family. You know, that whole Midwestern Americana bullshit. There is absolutely no apparent motive for this crime. So they say they were going to talk to his commanding officer, Dan Nichols, and he's coming in on R&R. &R. 
which means his wife is there. And his wife is met at the R&R station at the airport by this soldier who doesn't identify himself. He just says that he served under her husband and that he's going to take her to the R&R center. And he takes her by the scenic route is what he calls it. And he says that it's part of the officer's wife's welcome. The thing is, is that the dude doesn't do or say anything overtly sketchy. Like he could just be a soldier sent to do this, or he volunteered to do this because he served with Lieutenant Nichols. But there's just something about this dude's vibe that doesn't sit right because it all seems innocent enough. Though Mrs. Nichols does question why it's taking so long to get to the base. And he says, we're going by the scenic route. And then they stop so she can see the view. And you're anticipating something to happen. Something's going to happen. Something has to happen. And it's still shocking when they get to the top of that cliff and she's looking out at this beautiful view and he stabs her and chucks her over the side. Even though there's that lizard brain feeling of something's not right here. This dude can't be trusted. You're still shocked when he actually goes through with it. And kills Mrs. Nichols so brutally and chucks her body over the side of the cliff. So we do get some hot repelling action, though, with the rescue workers going down to get her. And as far as I can tell, that was an actual stunt. The way the camera was set up to have her fall kind of over the camera, that was an actual stunt woman doing it. They didn't dummy that. And then they had the actress or stunt woman, I'm not for sure which one, laying face down at the bottom of the cliff, I say in quotes. And just blessings to that person because they're, it's not pretty pristine sand. It was kind of rough, kind of craggy land that she was laying face down on. So blessings be into her for that because God knows how long that shooting day was. But they go, they, they get the body back and see that she was also stabbed like Ella. So now we're having a connection that the people in Echo Company, their wives, the soldiers in Echo Company, their wives are being targeted for reasons. It's now a matter of why. Why would they be targeted? What happened that would spur this kind of action by this person? Because Steve rightly thinks this is vengeance. This is revenge. But why? We have a moment of kind of getting thrown off a little bit because they find the abandoned staff car. They find inside, they find Mrs. Nichols' suitcase. They find this uniform. And Che looks at it and says, About five foot nine inches, 150 to 155 pounds, light brown hair with a dandruff problem. Two rows of decorations and service ribbons were worn, perhaps by the original owner. I'll know more after analyzing. Hold it, Che. You mean this is a secondhand uniform? Right. There's an odor of insecticide. Small shops use it to protect against silverfish and moths. Well. He could have stored it himself. Yes, but there are indications of staple perforations, a price tag. So he's not necessarily a military man. Maybe not. So there's this kind of almost of a swerve that this killer may not be military, except for the missing ribbons, which is interesting. But we don't know for sure. Until we get to the Marine recruiting office and we see our killer walk in with his sandals. He should have been disqualified from being recruited to the Marines based on his sandals alone. That shows to me you are not serious about committing war crimes. Anyway, 
He comes in to check on his application, and that's when we get the bomb dropped on us that our killer was in the army, but he was discharged. And his discharge makes him ineligible to be in the Marines, particularly because he's trying to join the Marines under a false identity, which obviously the Marines really aren't thrilled with. And at first, our guy tries to deny it and says he doesn't know who this person is. He is so-and-so. But the Marine's like, yeah, no. Agitate gravel, my friend. And it's outside that our killer, Tommy Ralston, starts screaming about how he won the Distinguished Service Cross. DSC. Mine. I wasted 11 VC and a mortar team to get that. How many did you get, latrine sergeant? You fools know what that is? That's the Distinguished Service Cross! That's a genuine hero medal! For meritoriously wasting a bunch of Charlies! The people on the sidewalk are looking at him like, we absolutely do not care. You are in our way. You are making an idiot of yourself. And I believe he senses that. And that is why he wants to express his vengeance. And we see him go to the telegraph. Now, the thing is, we don't actually see him at the telegraph office. What happens is we see the telegraph office guy reading the telegraph back to him. Mrs. Dennis Cotter, 129 Ravine Forest Drive, Linville, Florida. Your husband received R&R early. He arrives Honolulu tomorrow for five days only. Come immediately. And it's signed Captain Dan Nichols, whom we have met because his wife was murdered and we have talked to him. And when it pans over, there is Tommy Ralston with his shades and uniform pretending to be Nichols. So this rejection by the Marines has escalated his vengeance even further to the extent that he has to fake a telegram to get that next wife in so he can murder her. So it's very clear now that Steve is right and Ralston is targeting certain men in in this outfit for vengeance. He's murdering their wives for vengeance. So we have both Nichols and Augie together going through all of these service records with Hart, trying to figure out who would be targeting them. And they told the line, maintain that their company was fine. They were a hardworking group. Everybody was a good guy. There were no problems, nothing out of the ordinary. And then they bring up that Rolston was transferred out of their unit after earning the Distinguished Service Cross. And Nichols says, yes, he requested the transfer because there was no place for him to go in his company, in his unit. And he deserved a chance at advancing in his career. They then find out that Ralston was transferred and later discharged. And Augie's like, oh, it must have been the malaria he contracted. It must have been because of that. They continue investigating all of these men's records, and they run down Ralston to find out exactly why he was discharged in, I think he was transferred to Colorado, and he was discharged in Colorado. Why? Turns out that no, Ralston was not discharged due to medical complications from malaria. No, he was discharged on a Section 8. Paranoid, aggressive, defensive tendencies to violence is a bunch of reading here. He blames Nichols, Augie, and Carter for not getting into OCS after he earned that Distinguished Service Cross. And he felt he deserved that. 
But the truth is that metal ended up doing terrible, terrible things to his ego. And he felt that he was now better than everybody else, more deserving than everybody else. And it made him a discipline problem. And he also kind of ended up becoming obsessive about that, which led to him getting transferred out and led to him being discharged. The thing is, is that Nichols didn't say anything about the incident that led to Ralston getting transferred out, which was him being told to put out the lights and he wouldn't until Nichols told him. And so he shot the lights out and in the dark hit Augie with the rifle butt. But Augie couldn't say if it was an accident or not. So Nichols didn't say anything when he transferred him out of the outfit. And he did that to keep his unit looking sharp. And Augie and Nichols, when they were talking about the men in their outfit, were more concerned with the appearances of that outfit than telling the truth about it. And now both their wives are dead. And Nichols admits it was a misjudgment and he paid dearly for it. So now we know why Ralston is doing this. And we also know that he is purposely trying to get Mrs. Carter to come to Hawaii early so he can continue his vengeance tour. Tragically, we learn that Lieutenant Carter was killed in action. Really in the saddest way possible, the, the officer shows up to Mrs. Carter's house where, his, where her mother is and he informs her mother that he's been killed. And then he immediately makes a call to headquarters because Mrs. Carter's mother says her daughter Amy is left to go meet him in Hawaii because he was due on leave. Alarm bells start blaring for this guy and he, he calls it in. It, even though it's very sad that Lieutenant Carter is dead, this actually gives Fibo an opportunity to try to catch Ralston because they know who he's looking for and they know that Mrs. Carter is coming in on this flight. So what they do is they get an undercover police officer not named Joyce to pretend to be Mrs. Carter. We get some undercover action here. Hart and Steve and the undercover cop not named Joyce. I can't think of her name right now. I think it was Kathy. She is dressed as a stewardess and Steve is in coveralls like he's an airline worker and Hart's in an Aloha shirt like he's an airline worker. They board the plane when it lands. They they call ahead to the, to the pilots and say, don't let Mrs. Carter off the plane for love or money. They board the plane, explain to her what happened. They have to tell her, A, that her husband has been killed in action and B, some other weirdo is targeting her for murder. She's having a day. Meanwhile, Kathy changes to look like Mrs. Carter and she leaves the plane. So they're going to try to fool Ralston into going for Kathy instead of Mrs. Carter. The thing is, though, he's not so easily fooled. And we're not fooled about how great this guest cast is. Let's take a closer look at them. Thomas Robert Ralston, which at one point they called him Tommy Bob, which is amazing, was played by Alan Vind. He appeared in episodes of Adam 12, Then Came Bronson, Bonanza, The Young Lawyers, Nichols, The Rookies, Police Story, Emergency, David Cassidy, Man Undercover, and Spencer for Hire. He appeared in the movies Malevolence, Family Prayers, The Lady in Red, Breakout, Earthquake, Making County Line, Badlands, and The Panic in Needle Park. He appeared in the TV movies The Glass House, The Family Rico, The Deadly Tower, and Bell Star. And he appeared in the miniseries Centennial. 
Colonel Ken Hart was played by Richard Lepore. He appeared in episodes of Kane's Hundred, Frontier Circus, The Virginian, Search, Ironside, Matt Helm, The Rockford Files, Starsky and Hodge, Switch, and Beale Stryker. He appeared in the movies Hard Ticket to Hawaii, Seven, the 1979 movie. Stacy, In Harm's Way, Quick Before It Melts, and Why Must I Die. He appeared in the TV movies Ferdelance, The 3,000 Mile Chase, The Storyteller, and The Man from Left Field. And he appeared in the miniseries Harold Robbins, 79 Park Avenue. Captain Dan Nichols was played by James Davidson. This is his first of two episodes. He also appeared in episodes of Combat, The Fugitive, Wagon Train, Gidget, Death Valley Days, Felony Squad, Bonanza, Here Comes the Brides, and Night Gallery. He appeared in the movies Parasite, the 1982 movie, The Mechanic, the 1972 movie, and A Time for Killing. And he was in the TV movie Incident on a Dark Street. Amy Carter was played by Mary Cheatham. She was Stephanie Wyatt on Search for Tomorrow. Charlene Simpson on General Hospital and Port Charles. Mary Robison on Knott's Landing. Victoria on Acapulco Bay. Mona on Passions. Marie Horton on Days of Our Lives. Nona on Sam and Cat. Betty Breland on Heart of Dixie. Maggie on Baskets. And Pearl on the Haves and Have-Nots. She also appeared in episodes of Gunsmoke, Cagney and Lacey, Hunter, Columbo, Quantum Leap, Empty Nest, The Nanny, Dharma and Greg, The Profiler, Carolyn in the City, Scrubs, Monk, The West Wing, The Ghost Whisperer, Dexter, Hot in Cleveland, The Middle, and Young Sheldon. She appeared in the movies Letters to God, Crossing Over, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, The Affair, Hanging Up, A Night at the Roxbury, The Wedding Singer, Beetlejuice, and Soul Man. And she appeared in the TV movies, Runaway Car, Perfect Prey, Like Father, Like Santa, Just Ask My Children, and Point of Origin. Lieutenant Dennis Carter was played by Richard Kelton. He was Ficus on Quark. He also appeared in episodes of Mission Impossible, The Waltons, Gunsmoke, The Streets of San Francisco, Kung Fu, Matt Helm, Harry O, Charlie's Angels, The Incredible Hulk, Dallas, and The Rockford Files. He appeared in the movies The Ultimate Warrior, Silence, and McHugh, and he appeared in the TV movies Wild Women, Go West Young Girl, and A Guide for the Married Woman. Leslie Nichols was played by Jackie Russell. She appeared in episodes of Hawaiian Eye, Bourbon Street Beat, Bonanza, 77 Sunset Strip, Bachelor Father, Thriller, McHale's Navy, Wagon Train, The Joey Bishop Show, My Favorite Martian, The Virginian, Get Smart, Family Affair, Mod Squad, Emergency, Chopper One, Ironside, Kolchak the Night Stalker, Gunsmoke, Ellery Queen, Buck Rogers, and Simon and Simon. She appeared in the movies Devil and May Devlin, The Cheyenne Social Club, All the Loving Couples, A Guide for the Married Man, and Secrets of Beauty. And she appeared in the TV movies The Ballad of Andy Crocker, The Screaming Woman, and The Kids Who Knew Too Much. Augie Szymanski was played by Anthony Aiello. He appeared in episodes of Combat, Adam-12, Wild Wild West, and Quincy Emmy. He also appeared in the TV movies Return of the Rebels, and Goldie and the Buyer go to Hollywood. Betty Hurlburt was played by Jane Actman. She was Barbara Sims Dickerson on The Paul Lynn Show and Bonnie on Room 222. 
She also appeared in episodes of The Virginian, The Partridge Family, Mannix, Planet of the Apes, The Rookies, Barnaby Jones, Wonder Woman, and Trapper John, M.D. And she appeared in the TV movies Sorority Kill, The Chadwick Family, The Cabot Connection, and Last of the Mohicans. And she appeared in the miniseries Black Beauty. Ella Szymanski was played by Robin Millen. This is her first of two episodes. She was Roz on The Patty Duke Show and Delia Reed Ryan Coleridge on Ryan's Hope. She also appeared in episodes of The Monkees, Mission Impossible, The Partridge Family, The Magician, McLeod, Mannix, Thriller, and Masquerade. She appeared in the movies Murph the Surf, The Witchmaker, and The Hardy Boys, The Mystery of the Chinese Junk. And she appeared in the TV movies The Best Years and Incident on a Dark Street. Officer Kathy Miller was played by Genevieve Ann Nelson. This is her first of two episodes. The Telegraph Clerk was played by Moki Palacio. This is his fourth of six episodes. Sergeant Filippo was played by Philip Heron. This is his only credit. The Corporal was played by James Benton. This is his first of two episodes. He also appeared in an episode of The Wednesday Play. And he appeared in the movies The Last Tide, The Game of Chance, The Thoroughbred, and The Final Reckoning. Mrs. Willis was played by Maude Demarest. This is her only credit. And The Major was played by Jim Hutchinson. This is his first of three episodes. He also appeared in episodes of Magnum P.I. and Raven. And he appeared in the TV movie, Blood and Orchids. And that is R&R&R. I enjoyed this episode. Like I said, I like the way it unfolds in that we're largely kept in the dark about the murderer and the murderer's motivations for a majority of the episode. And then when it comes out, why he's targeting these people for vengeance and the extent that the military men went to to keep their own reputations intact and the reputation of their unit intact and how dearly it cost them for that. I think it pulls everything together really nicely. And we do have a genuinely creepy off kilter kind of a dude perpetrating these crimes. And the ending is pretty fantastic as well. Vivo has one more swerve before they get there, man. As season finales go, this one's pretty good. You should give it a watch. I remember exactly. I got a photogenic memory. That's photographic, Connor. That's what I said. So here we are at the end of season four. So let's do a little bit of a wrap up here. You know me, I like to keep arbitrary tallies of things. So here are my arbitrary tallies for season four. McGarrett somehow did not get blown up in this season. He did get shot. He was drugged in a car accident. And he did get cut in an episode in spoiler territory. He also went undercover multiple times, including he went undercover in quotes because he was still wearing his suit and not his ugly Aloha shirt at Sea Life Park because that's what you do at Sea Life Park. He also went undercover as a Navy officer and in an Aloha shirt. And, of course, in the last episode, we saw him go undercover as an airline worker. Danny also got shot once, and he went undercover at Sea Life Park. Actually undercover, not half-assed Steve undercover. And he was also undercover as a sailor and in an Aloha shirt in the same episode. That episode was so glorious, so much undercover stuff. Chin Ho 
Did not get hurt this season. Yay! But he did go undercover three times. He went undercover once as an air freight handler, once as a dock worker, and an Aloha shirt. And he went undercover as a taxi driver. Kono also managed to emerge from season four unscathed. Just went undercover multiple times. Once at Sea Life Park, once as a phone guy, and twice he was in an undercover Aloha shirt. And we are all better for that. Now, after getting no Bookum Danos in season two, only a Chin Bookum in season three, we were best with three episodes featuring a Bookum Dano. Bookum Dano. Clearly making up for the lack of Bookum Danos in the previous seasons. And of course, you know me, I like to keep track of all of the racist casting that occurs over the course of a given season. Only three instances in season four, two of which were repeats because David Apatashu is still not Asian and Ray Danton is still not Hawaiian. Better than season three. Still not great because one is too many. But we're also having repeats of the same people, so it's a weird nonlinear progress. It's also noteworthy that this season saw Robert L. Morrison nominated for Outstanding Cinematography. And I have to agree. Excellent work this season from my totally unprofessional eyes. And in final season four news, I hope everybody enjoyed Zulu, a.k.a. Kono. This will be his last season. Starting in season five, Al Harrington was introduced as Ben Kakua, the character that took the place of Kono. Now, there are two different reports of why Zulu ended up leaving the show. One says that he and his agent were not satisfied with the role on the show. According to Bookum Hawaii Five-O by Karen Rhodes, it said that the show did not correctly utilize Kono's comedic talents, which in many episodes he is a bit of a comic relief. But this is a pretty heavy drama, so there's not a lot of opportunities for comedy. The other story, which I think is a little more notorious, is that he was fired for getting into it with their producer and losing his temper and using a racial epithet. This story says that he apologized later, but Jack Lord wasn't having it. And so he was dismissed from the show. I don't know which one of these versions is true, but I do know that his exit was definitely real. And I think Kono was a fun character. I would have liked to see more Kono in the episodes. Obviously, it's a Jack Lord-led ensemble. But I feel like they could have utilized Kono a little bit more. I think he was a fun character. I think he was a good character. And he will definitely be missed going forward. I don't think the show necessarily suffered from his absence, but who doesn't love a big Kanaka, you know? He was a lovable character. So, so long, Kono. Thanks for everything. At least they didn't kill you off. Are those lizard shoes he wears, or does he go barefooted? is episode 51 of Bookum Dano and the conclusion of season four of both Hawaii Five-O and Bookum Dano. Thank you so much for coming with me on yet another season of Hawaii Five-O. We are now officially a third of the way through the series. So pats on the back all around. Special shout outs and thanks to my Anns, Stan, Shan, and Dan. 
Thanks to Dan Budnick for being such a super sport and coming on the show and allowing me to subject him to my love of Hawaii Five-O. He is an excellent podcaster and you should definitely be checking out his work. Go to eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com and check out what he is doing. Eventually Supertrain is a fantastic podcast about short-lived TV shows. I have been on there once or twice. He also has a Happy Days podcast called Rockin' All Week with You. He is making a very strong case of Joni being the main character on that series. So you should definitely give that a listen as well. Thanks to my buddy Shan. Not only is she very supportive in my podcasting endeavors, but she also ends up being my technical backup because I am not a professional at this. She and I do a podcast together called Here, Watch This, in which we make each other watch episodes of TV shows based on a theme and then talk about what we thought about them. It is a lot of fun. We have covered a whole range of television shows, decades. It's just been super fun. It's super casual. Give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. You can find links to the show at akakikiwrites.com. And thanks to my friend Sam Peel, who has always been remarkable with his feedback for Bokum Dano, and he's always been super supportive. I know he has a soft spot in his heart for Kono, so it's going to be a little rough for him going forward, but we will persevere together. He's also finally succumbed and started his own retro TV podcast. He does Wonder Woman Wednesdays, which is fantastic. Not only is he covering the 1970s Wonder Woman TV show, but his guest hosts are Wonder Woman cosplayers. It's a fantastic listen, and you should definitely check it out. You can find it at wonderwomanwednesdays.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You know I always appreciate your ears. If you'd like to find me online, you can do that by going to akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of Bookum Dano and here, watch this. You can also find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. Be sure to check out the Patreon. And if you need me showing gratitude in real time, you can do that by following me on Twitter, still at kikiwrites. So be honest about your coworkers and don't let your ego get the best of you. Until next time. Aloha.